Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It is a a good day because it is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I hope that that reflects the attitude of our hearts today. as Josh mentioned, this is part three of an eight-part series that we're doing that, we're called, that we call Stuffed. And uh, we are, without a doubt, the richest generation that has ever lived. Um, at least those of us who are privileged to live in the Western world have more stuff and we consume more stuff than any generation that has preceded us. And uh, like Josh said last week, too many illustrations too many illustrations of this reality. Um, That makes our our topic a really big one because we have a lot of stuff. We're talking about the material world or or material wealth, if you will. And one of the consequences of this for me has been that over the last number of weeks, I've become become conscious of how many times in the run of a day I use that word, stuff. I don't know if that's happened to you or not, but for me, I, I, I find myself, it's got to be one of our favorite, favorite words. And, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, but maybe it's because we have so much of it, so much stuff. Um, and yet, we are addressing this subject at a time of soaring inflation, uh, at a time when the cost of pretty much everything is sharply rising, including fuel and food and and housing, and, and I, I hope we're conscious of the very real struggle that a lot of people are having in these days to make ends meet. But I want to uh, share some things with you this morning that probably would be a more help for people in addressing our financial situation and our financial needs almost more than anything else that I know of. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about stuff and we're talking about worshiping God. Uh, In week one of the series, we learned uh, that stuff is good because it's made by a good God. And God blesses us abundantly with all good gifts for our enjoyment and for his glory. Even the things we produce, if you will, ultimately come from God. And we need to recognize that. Last week, Josh uh, pointed us to the, the farmer who is so dependent on God for the increase. And I hope that you took uh, note of that. He asked us the question, think about the question last week, if stuff is good, does that mean more is better? And uh, we looked at that. Uh, If stuff is good, why is it that the multitude of mentions throughout scripture to material wealth show it or showcase it in such poor light? Someone has counted 2,350 references in the Bible to money and material wealth 
last week, Josh uh, mentioned that Jesus himself spoke more about uh, money or finances than he did about uh, heaven and hell. And yet the vast majority of his comments are in the form of cautions or warnings, like flashing neon signs. Watch out. Be careful. There's great danger here. And again, the story of the rich fool is a classic example of that uh, from last week. I want to urge you not to brush this stuff off. Because our tendency in these matters is to think that the continuous warnings about wealth in Scripture don't really apply to us because money or material things is the one thing that we don't have enough of. In other words, we don't have enough money for money to be a problem. Or rather, maybe uh, the only real problem we have with money is that we don't have enough of it. Or maybe that our money problems would be solved if only we had more coming in. Now be honest with yourself. This is a tendency that we have as human beings. And the warnings in scripture on this subject come to us um, in stringent terms for at least two reasons. One, because of how great the danger is and the great cost involved. And two, because of the fact that there is a deceptive quality that comes with financial matters. I don't know when the last time was that you read the parable of the sower in John, or sorry, in Matthew chapter 13, but Jesus refers there to the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Uh, again, last week, the rich fool, watch out. Be careful. Because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Today we're in Matthew chapter 4, as Josh mentioned, and we're looking at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Because today we're thinking about our relationship with God, our worship of God, if you will, as it relates to our stuff, or uh, you could say our relationship with our stuff. And uh, to do that, we are considering the greatest temptation that we face. And uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, let's go there. If you've turned there, uh, I have it in front of me. We have it ready to project on the screen. Um, and I'd like to uh, read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4 with you. But first, I'm just going to ask you just to pause with me and, and pray if you would. Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you for this tremendous group of people and those watching uh, and listening online as well. Thank you for uh, your word. And now, Lord, as we, as we attempt to dig into Scripture today, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would show us what your will is for our lives. Give us a clear vision and understanding of who you are and who we are and how we relate to you and how we relate to the stuff of this world. Help us, Lord, in these matters because we understand them to be gravely important. Help us, Lord, uh, for your glory and for our good 
We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. This event is recorded uh, for us uh, from the very front end of Jesus' public ministry. He's just, uh, Matthew's just talked about Jesus being baptized by John. And in that account, we have Jesus being baptized. We have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the text says, on him. And a voice heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, there's more in this passage than we could possibly dig out this morning. Uh, the Word of God is like that. It's infinite in its depth, and, and, uh, and we're going to try to pull out of this some things this morning that, that are uh, pertinent for our uh, topic at hand. Uh, the first thing I want for us to note here is that each time Jesus responds to the temptation from coming from the tempter, um, he responds with scripture. Now, you probably noticed that. You should have. It was pretty obvious, and you probably knew that already if you've read through this passage before, which I'm sure most of you have. But do we suppose that that's more than a little bit significant? That each time Jesus responded to the temptation from the tempter, he used scripture. He quoted scripture, directly quoted scripture. And all three times, Jesus responds from scripture, from the book of Deuteronomy, which is a, uh, the Old Testament record uh, of the ending of uh, Israel's 40 years of testing in the wilderness. That's significant as well. So the first temptation, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. As it is in, relates to any application that we want to make from this passage to our own hearts and lives, I would suggest to you that the temptation here uh, is not uh, an attempt to have Jesus uh, wonder or question about whether or not he could or couldn't do this. It wasn't a temptation of his abilities. He is not being tempted to doubt himself. But he is being tempted to doubt the Father and specifically his relationship with the Father, calling into question the Father's love and care based on 
uh, a seeming lack of provision. Remember, it was the Spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness. Right after the Father's pronouncement, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And here the tempter says, if you really are the Son of God. So the temptation is a temptation to question God or to, go, to doubt God's love and care in a time where there is a seeming lack of provision. That is um, the test, and uh, I believe it's that, the, that that's borne out in the rest of the passage. But uh, take a look at the, pa- um, the passage that Jesus quotes from in response. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says this, and he, referring to God, humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he humbled you. Uh, when we talk about stuff and our relationship with stuff and with God, our worship, humility is something very critical, and I hope that as we go on through this uh, uh, body of material about, um, about material wealth, uh, about stuff, um, I hope that we will uh, learn the, the more about the critical importance of, uh, of being humble, what it means to be humble, and what it doesn't mean to be humble. But it says there in the text that God did that, that he might make you know. See those words in there? That he might make you know. This was God's intent. There's a lesson to be learned, and yes, there will be a test, and the lesson that is to be learned is that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. In other words, there's more to life than stuff. There's more than meets the eye, There is more than goes into our mouths. There is more that goes on our backs. There is more than what is over our heads even. A few few weeks back, we were uh, talking about generational discipleship, and Josh led us through some of the material from Deuteronomy. And uh, if you recall, uh, one of the passages there that he... um, Share with us that day is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to, to this as I read uh, for you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget God. The Lord. In the wilderness, Jesus will pass the test that Israel failed because he is the Son of God, our Savior and our Lord. And this is the main point of the text uh, that Jesus is the one who would conquer sin, hell, and death and defeat the devil. And in so doing, he would secure our salvation because he isn't simply an example for us to follow how to succeed in life. He is the one who saves us in spite of our failures and he succeeds on our behalf, defeating temptation, conquering sin, death, hell, and defeating the the devil. Um, God provided bread for the people of Israel in the wilderness. You remember that? The manna? But they didn't appreciate it. 
Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness with no bread. But he was sustained by the Father. And he will go on in his public ministry to say, I am the bread of life. I wonder if we know that he is the bread of life. I wonder if we know that he is more than enough, that he is our daily bread. Let's keep moving through the passage. The second temptation, Matthew chapter four, verse five to seven. And I want to get through to make some application towards the end. It says, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, the tempter, the diabolos, the diabolical one, the liar, the father of all lies, Jesus was saying in John chapter 8. Again, he is prodding Jesus if you really are the son of God. And again, Jesus responds with scripture. But this time, this time you notice the devil quotes scripture. He's kind of up in his game here. And uh, there's, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot that's significant about that, but uh, one, one thing I think we should take note of for this morning is that Scripture can be manipulated for nefarious reasons and personal agendas. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to be uh, astute when it comes to, uh, to, to that. Um, so Jesus' response here to this temptation is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16, where it says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massa. Massa is also referred to as Meribah or Rephidim. And you may recall there that that's the place where uh, God gave the children of Israel water from a rock. Do you remember that passage if you've read through those portions? Um, and of course, you're probably aware maybe that uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes of that account and he says, that rock was Jesus. So not only is he our daily bread, he's also our living water. But let's move on a little farther in the text. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So this is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 13. And if you've never done a, a biblical word study on the words serve and worship, um, it, will not, it, it will be worth your time to do that. Uh, the words serve and worship are very closely connected in Scripture. In fact, sometimes the words are used interchangeably. The Hebrew words or the Greek words are used interchangeably. And, uh, and in large measure, to worship God is to serve Him. And in large measure, to serve God is to worship Him. I would also recommend a, a study of the words trial and temptation 
coming to us out of this passage as well as other passages in scripture because that's also a very interesting word study to do. Uh, Same word, used in two different ways, with two different intentions, coming from two different sources. Very interesting uh, thing to look at. But uh, here we're seeking to understand temptation uh, with its accompanying dangers as it relates to our worship. So what is temptation anyway? Have you ever thought about that? What, what does it mean to be tempted? What, what is, is temptation? I guess there's different ways that, that we could look at it, right? My wife is what you would call an avid gardener. And of course, uh, when it gets dry in the summertime, she often has to get the sprinkler out. And uh, to move the sprinkler from one spot of the garden to another rather than having to run back to the to the, uh, turn it off and turn it back on again. It's a lot easier if you just have somebody to kink the hose for you, right? That's where I come in. I don't know how good of a gardener I am, but hey, I can kink a hose. And so uh, I, I kink the hose for her, effectively cutting off the water supply. Um, but I can't say that there's never been a time when I haven't been tempted <laughs> to release my grip just as she's bending down to pick up the sprinkler. Has it ever happened? She's at the back. You can ask her later, Jean. Um, What what would prevent me from giving into that temptation uh, would be either love or fear or a mixture of the two. depending on what I know about her to be true. Are you following me? What is temptation? Well, when you look at this, this temptation here from, from, the, from the devil, uh, verse nine, it says, the tempter says, all these I will give you. Now keep in mind, he's just showed them what? everything. What's, what's he promising him here? The world. He's promising him in the world. And all you have to do, Jesus, is fall down and worship me. Satan promised him the world. He said, you can have, have it all. Now, it needs to be understood that the devil has no authority to give anything that he has promised here. The world is not his to give. But remember, don't ever forget this, he is a liar. Jesus calls him a liar in John chapter eight and he says he is the father of lies. I think a great deal of our succeeding in life is a matter of us remembering what we know to be true. The diabolos is a liar, and each time he tempts Jesus, Jesus responds by, with Scripture, taking his stand on the Word of God, which is truth. Jesus says in John 17 to the Father, he says, Thy word is truth. So take note of a couple of things here. One, the connection between temptation and idolatry. 
And two, the element of deception involved in the temptation. Every temptation is at its base the choice to choose something over God. To love, to value, to regard, to esteem something or someone above the infinite Lord of creation. And every temptation involves uh, an error or a lie, if you will. I want to urge you not to brush these these biblical, this biblical emphasis that we are attempting to put forth in this series of messages because there is a deception involved in all of this stuff. Um, and the stakes couldn't be higher. You remember the 30 pieces of silver? Do you remember who put it in Judas's heart? Do you remember when Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of wealth? And just like Satan promises here things that he cannot truly deliver, so it is the same with the stuff of this world in general. When we think simply having more is somehow going to make us happy, we have believed a lie. And let's be honest, how many times do we get suckered by this? All sin involves deception, and all sin is idolatrous. Let's be clear on some things. Food and water are not bad things. They are obviously not wrong. Neither are power and leadership. But anything can become problematic if it's out of place. That is, if we ascribe too much value to it. And that's what is involved in idolatry of any kind, putting anything before God. So it's all good stuff, but watch out. Take care, be on your guard, Jesus says. Stuff is good, but the sheer volume of mention in Scripture, taking the form of cautions and warnings, should speak volumes to us of the danger that is the great potential for loss in the desire for material wealth. Another word for value is the word worth, right? And perhaps you might know this, but the word worship the English word worship is actually worth-ship. That's where the word comes from, worth-ship. It is an acclamation of the infinite value of God above, above or whatever we're worshiping above anything else. That's what it means to worship. And to say that God alone is worthy of our worship is another way to say that nothing is to be esteemed as highly as God. To worship God is to acknowledge and ascribe ultimate value to him, to esteem him, to treasure him above all else. That is why the Old Testament, he's called God most high or the most high God. 
Think about the Ten Commandments. The first four of the, of the Ten Commandments are all about a relationship with God. The last six are all about a relationship with one another. And Jesus summarized the whole of the Ten Commandments in these words. He said, love God and love your neighbor. So another term for value is the word uh, love. And we are to love God first. I uh, want to finish our time this morning in the sermon time uh, uh, by taking you over two chapters to Matthew chapter 6. You didn't have this in your reading assignment, but that's where we want to end today is in Matthew chapter 6. And I want to just read a few verses there, starting at verse 19. I'd like to read 19, 20, 21, and then verse 24. It says, Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now when considering this statement from Jesus, it's helpful for us to know that Jesus is here employing a common Semitic idiom. He does it in other passages as well, like this one from Luke chapter 14. He said, Jesus said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me, listen, this is what Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now you talk about difficult passages that have caused people to stumble. (laughs) That's one of them, right? Like what is that? But it's actually not that difficult to understand when you understand the use of the idiom. Uh, An Old Testament example uh, would be Malachi 1, where Jacob, it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Um, God didn't hate Esau. If you read the record of Jacob and Esau, God was very good to Esau especially considering how Esau lived his life. God treated him very well. God loved Esau in the conventional use of the term. So understanding the function, how this idiom functions, and let me explain to you how the, this, this works. So this is the, the, um, the way it works. To choose one over another was to love the one and hate the other. So if you, for example, if you had... Um, uh, a, 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 a crush. Uh, I'm talking to young people now. <laughs> Unmarried people. If you had a crush on somebody, okay, Jay, I'll use you. If you have a crush on a girl and she, uh, she uh, chooses somebody else, you will feel like saying, you hate me, don't you? And she might be inclined to say, no, it's not that I hate you. I just didn't choose you. I chose him. I'm sorry if this is hitting too close to home, but, but, <laughs> but do you get the, the idiom? you get the way it works? Because, I mean, come on, people, work with me here. Jesus doesn't call you to hate your wife. 
or your father or your mother or your children or even your own self. What's he saying? He's saying, choose me first. That's what it's all about. And that's what our worship is all about. And that's, truth be told, what life is all about. You have to choose. You cannot serve, that is, you cannot worship both God and money. You have to choose your highest value and then allow that to be the authority for everything else in your life. Two weeks ago, Josh had us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Does that mean that money has no value? Of course it doesn't mean that. Imagine how wasteful we would be if we treated money as if it had no value at all. We would just squander it. That's not what it's talking about. But the love of money, the love of money is when we allow the deceitfulness that comes with material wealth to deceive us into thinking that money or material wealth is more important ultimately, than God is. It's a matter of values. Anything that becomes more valuable to us than God is idolatrous. Uh, Josh is going to be dealing with more of Matthew 6 uh, in two weeks' time. He's going to take us more in depth into the passage of Matthew 6, um, especially as it relates to all of our anxieties. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I want to, to skip down to verse 33, and we'll end with verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is, talks, he talks about anxieties. He talks about some essential provisions like food and water and clothing. And then in chapter uh, 6, verse 33, he says these words. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The words seek first are what I want for us to focus on here as we close. This is not a matter of sequence. It's more a matter of place, or you might say a priority. Um, that's another word for value, priority. What are our priorities? Prior means before, right? What comes before? Who or what comes first? Again, food and clothing are not bad or wrong. How many of you are thankful for clothing? <laughs> Last week was Thanksgiving, and we give thanks for turkey. Turkey's good. And these things are of great value, but not when compared right? Desire is not a bad thing. You and I were created with desires, but we must guard against what uh, Paul Tripp calls inordinate desires, desires out of order. Your body is not bad or evil. God values your, your, your body, and, he, and, he, and he's mindful of your physical needs. But Jesus said this. He said, what would it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Money is a good thing, just like food and clothing are good things. You can do stuff with money. Money is power in that sense. 
And power is not a bad thing either. But anything that is not subjected to the majesty, the authority, the worth of Almighty God, our Creator, is a problem. It becomes a problem. To value anything before our relationship with God is idolatrous, and it's a disaster for us. It doesn't diminish God in any way. Idolatry doesn't cost God anything, really, because he doesn't need anything from us, including our worship. God doesn't need for us to worship him. He is not diminished in any way when we devalue him. We are the ones that lose out. We always are the ones that lose out. We lose out when we sell out. Listen to these words from Paul in Romans chapter 1. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The greatest temptation you and I will ever face is to put anything ahead of him in our lives, in our affections. You could say they worship the gift rather than the giver. But it's a great day when we realize this, when we realize that we need God more than we need anything, more than the air we breathe, more than our daily bread, I want to tell you this morning that there is nothing that will do more for our finances than getting our priorities in line with the value system that reflects the reality taught in Scripture. Just two more things in closing. First, a quote. Someone said this about Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. Joseph, son of Jacob. They said, Joseph's greatest test was not his temptation to be bitter against his brothers. It wasn't the sexual temptation that came inside Potiphar's house. It wasn't even the discouragement of years' imprisonment for being wrongly accused. It was the temptation of prosperity and ownership. Once he was elevated, he was given choices that he never had before. It was totally up to him as to which choice he would make. Stewardship reveals what we believe about God and ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm going to ask you to stand uh, for prayer if you would. There is absolutely, absolutely nothing that would do more for you personally or for your family when it comes to the issue of stuff or material wealth than getting your priorities to lie in line with the value system that is set out as 
the reality of life in Scripture, which involves bringing your life under the authority of the only one who is worthy. If you think you can do this without him, (laughs) no, you're going down, buddy. It might take a few years, but you can't do this without him. You can't do it. There's nothing we need more than we need God in our lives. I would like to lead you in prayer. And uh, when, after we've prayed together as a group, if you're here this morning and you would like to, to talk a little bit more, or if you'd like to have somebody pray with you, uh, there, we have some folks ready to do that uh, right here at the, at the front. While, while others are free to be uh, dismissed. Uh, so I would encourage you to take advantage. Maybe you have some unfinished business that you need to do with the Lord this morning. This would be a good time for that. And uh, will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for uh, this time. Again, for your word and for your Holy Spirit who is our, who is our teacher, who convicts us of sin and convinces us of our need for you. And Lord, we pray that you would do your work today in our hearts, that we would know how much we need you more than anything. And Lord, we need to put you first in our lives. We need to worship you, value, esteem, and treasure you above anything or anyone. And we have the promise from you, not from the, the tempter, the, the destroyer, but we have a promise from you that if we put you first, that you will take care to make sure the other things fall into place and that you will provide for us. Thank you for your provision, Lord. Thank you so much for all your good gifts. But Lord, help us to worship you and worship you alone. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who's never bowed their knee to recognize and acknowledge you as sovereign Lord, uh, creator, God, and Savior, never put their trust in you, never come to you. I pray, Lord, that they might come to you in faith even now, recognizing the incredible gift of eternal life that you've provided in sending your Son who conquered sin and hell and death on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking to hearts and, and to all of our hearts, Lord, today in these important matters, Lord. We, we desperately need you to teach us these things, Lord, and to free us up to love and serve you with all our hearts. Thank you again for this tremendous uh, group of people and for this time. Lord, may these things all follow for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.